Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Meeting uh, Bishop uh, Pearson was phenomenal. And uh, so much has happened. He's grown so much. And he's agreed to come and share his experience, strength, and hope with the Cinevision community. And uh, rather than read a bio, which doesn't really get you connected with somebody, I'm going to ask for, uh, Bishop uh, Pearson to tell us a little bit about himself. Well, where do you start? I'm, uh, I'm about approaching my 65th birthday, so that's a lot of who I am who I am and what I do. Sometimes people get mixed up with who they are and what they do. What I do is I'm a a thought leader and uh, I've been in the ministry for 47 years, licensed and ordained in the classical Pentecostal movement, four generations of that. Pastored a huge church here in Tulsa for almost 30 years. I worked with the Oral Roberts University and was was one of the protégés and mentorees of the old man himself who lived till he was 91. then I shifted consciousness, and I've recorded and sang and written probably 30 books. And uh, <clears throat> my two latest is God is Not a Christian, Jew, Muslim, Hindu. God is in us, with us, around us, as us. And then the other one is the gospel of inclusion. And that's the one that sort of got me in trouble with my fundamentalist friends and evangelical people. Uh, but they're coming around. Um, and I've been uh, traveling and speaking, and I consider myself a sacred activist, a cultural creative and one who I, pr- I prefer those titles more than bishop or pastor, and those 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 were worked very well with to through and as me in, in the 20th century. But as I've entered the 21st century, I've reassessed what I think, uh, what I believe, why I believe it, and how those beliefs add to or subtract from the quality of my life. So I have a wife and two children, and um, I'm one of uh, six siblings, all still alive. Everybody except my dad, who made his transition at 88 years old, about three years ago. I love my life. I love life itself, even though it's kind of a sexually transmitted disease. (laughs) (laughs) Your mom and them were intimate, whether they were married or not, but, and it's an incurable disease and it's terminal because we all go through the transition we call death, but it's not untreatable. So I'm in treatment and so are you and everybody on this planet. We're trying to handle with the dis-ease or the tension of human beings being human. And that's a wonderful challenge and I love it. (laughs) I do it every day. I'm getting better at it all the time. <laughs> it's remarkable. The work that you're doing out there is remarkable. And you know what? Uh, what uh, I've learned about you is that you focus on raising your level of consciousness. That was an idea that I didn't really grow up with in church to really talk about raising a level of consciousness because. For me, it seemed like there was always an intermediary that had to connect me with something greater, and I had some issues with that. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your journey. What was it that uh, changed the way that you thought about raising your level of consciousness and making a personal spiritual connection? I struggled probably for the first 50 years of my life with uh, being what evangelicals call saved. I wasn't struggling with being saved, but with feeling safe with God. 
and S-A-F-E and safe with myself. Uh, you know, we spend most of our lives impersonating who we think people want us to be. We become virtual imposters. And that works for us because the culture expects that, demands it, insists that we be who they want us to be. And we have, we've grown up around guilt and shame and wanting to be liked, beginning with our, the first God and goddesses, the first idols of our lives, our parents. And, uh, we will, and then our siblings and then our grandparents and godparents and then the church community, if you have one or whatever the community is, and you spend your life dancing around hoping somebody will like you. I'm, I'm the fourth of six children, and by the time they got to me, no one was excited about having kids. <laughs> so uh, usually the, the, the middle children are a little bit more assertive. They work a little bit harder, you know, to find their place and be noticed. And so I guess I'm one of those. Um, I, but I've always felt secure. I've always loved life. But I was, a, because of my steep religious uh, background, uh, which had a lot of dogma, a lot of restraints, a lot of holdbacks, a lot of fears. We feared God. We felt God uh, could be angered. And subsequently, inadvertently, God had anger management issues. And going to these tantrums that sent tornadoes. Or, I grew up in Southern California, so we were very earthquake conscious. Now I'm in Oklahoma, it's tornado conference, uh, conscious. But fears. There, my faith was maybe, I didn't realize it, but maybe a little bit more in my fears than in God. But the reason that was easy, because I feared God. I don't any longer, but I, I had fear of God and uh, I didn't see God as a friend, but God as an enemy. And I needed Jesus to protect me from God mm. <laughs> and the devil. <laughs> well, we had them both working in our lives. That was, that's the way we were taught. So. You know, yeah. You, when you talk about that and growing up and, and uh, so I personally uh, uh, am a part of a center for spiritual living community and, and, uh, one of the things that that I've learned in the time that I've spent with these folks was that there's this notion of separation or duality uh, that that really uh, uh, feeds ego-based fear and, and, and self-centered fear and and uh, and keeps us from reaching our full potential and, and recognizing how. Uh, how important we are to actualize ourselves. Uh, talk about how you managed to to work around some of those barriers and how they helped you serve others. It hit me one day uh, when I was feeling sorry for myself after having uh, your your some of your followers may know my story, um, where I shifted in consciousness and stopped believing that Christians were the only people who would go to heaven, uh, and then I. At some point, I stopped actually believing in a literal hell where people were tortured and torched uh, eternally. I got away from the eternal damnation concept because I thought it was absurd and obscene. And my experience of God, a loving God, was not what I was taught through to and in the Bible about God being angry and jealous and vengeful. And I wrestled with that. I had too many loved ones in hell. So trying to, it was strangling me. I'm preaching to this whole world. I preach all over the world to millions by way of television, uh, radio. I've written books. I've preached to thousands, been on all the continents. And I still felt we were basically losing the battle for souls. And that was a consciousness that evangelicals have preachers who feel like Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say save the world. He just said, tell them that they're saved or safe with him. And if we did that, maybe more people would be that, but saved from what? Except our own fears. 
the whole idea of a God that demanded blood sacrifices. I did the research and found out that was ancient and long before Christianity came along. And so I started reassessing again how I was going to do this. And it hit me one day. What if we all in some pre-incarnate reality agreed to come here, but forgot about it, forgot the agreement, forgot the contract or the covenant we made with creation or creator to come to this plane of consciousness and uh, recover our human divinity, discover our human divinity. And it was, that was a wild thought to me. And I thought, what? That, that, I, was already, I was already trying to fight reincarnation and now I'm dealt with pre-incarnation and I'm in a fundamentalist. I'm going, I'm demon possessed. <laughs> but it hit me that what if we did agree to come here and that between the womb and the tomb, we experience some kind of amnesia and we forget that we agreed to come here and then we start feeling like victims of destiny or victims of creation and we panic and we start fighting. At this stage in my life, I am, I am at the place where I'm paying more attention to what my soul and my cells know or remember in my deja vus and what my mind believes because beliefs are what you're, you've been taught or told. Knowledge is what you know. It's called conscience, conscience with knowledge. Science means knowledge, conscience. A conscious person knows. They don't believe as much. They know. I knew a lot that I didn't believe. I knew I was all right. I knew I was God. I knew I was, what I mean is, is that I was infinite. I knew that I was um, uh, at peace. I knew that I was secure, but I didn't believe it. I was taught not to believe that. I knew I was loved and I knew I was loved. My soul has always known that, but my mind was taught not to believe it. So the conflict for all these years, the first 50 years of my life was between what my soul knows and remembers and what my mind has been taught to believe. It's been a major shakeup. I always say shift happens, S-H-I-F-T. <laughs> and uh, my shift happened and it, it eventually hit the fan. And so now I'm getting to talk to, to new thought people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get my shift together and keep it together. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I've got a, I'm writing a book title that and working on that concept, but it makes people go through things. So I'm, I, I reached, I started basically remembering, reconnecting, uh, reassessing, recollecting, reclaiming myself and my soul and taking off the imposter or the impersonator. There's a scripture in Genesis that says Adam and Eve were naked and, and they weren't ashamed. Who's naked? And most people, regardless of how wonderful their bodies may be, there's, a, there's an innate shame and guilt concept there. And we wrestle with being vulnerable. The word sh naked actually in its Hebrew origin means to be cunning and aware and uh, uh, conscious, slick, perceptive. But we've been taught to uh, don't believe, don't, don't, don't know anything. Just believe stuff that we tell you to believe. So it's taken me half a century and I'm 15 years past it now. So <laughs> I, I'm good to go. <laughs> I feel like I, I have, I have more life behind me than in front of me, but maybe not. Maybe I'll have 65 more years to help birth what I think is a new uh, movement in consciousness. That's going to replace religion with a new kind of mysticism, a new kind of spiritual progression and paradigm. Very exciting. Can you imagine a fearless, guiltless, shameless reality? That's heaven. <laughs> well, I like that. You know, I think heaven and hell are just more or less state of mind more than anything else. And, you know, it's funny that you talk about 50 because I ended up uh, 
uh, with cancer at age 49, not sure if I was going to see 50. And I had to stop and start questioning a lot of things that I believed up here. Uh, there seems to be a very long journey from here to here. And, and uh, that a lot of people struggle with that. Tell me a little bit, uh, because what we, we talk about people who want to be a service, and uh, that's nowhere more true than in, in, in spiritual communities. And uh, so uh, what we call, uh, what a lot of people call new thought is kind of a problem for, for some of the different leaders of church, uh, different churches, and uh uh, tell me how how this has impacted people that you've met and some of the struggles that you've learned about that they had in serving their communities and growing their congregations, maybe because there's a, a, a limited point of view or a, a point of view that doesn't really embrace these new concepts. There is, a, and I hear from quite a few uh, people who are struggling with what I call cognitive dissonance. They, mm. they are um, teaching and believing perhaps something that they're not experiencing. A lot of my preacher friends who call me and say, Doc, we, we with you, Doc, keep talking. We, we love this. We, 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 we don't have a theological problem with you. It's a business decision. We got to eat. We need these offerings. So, um, but I don't believe this stuff. I've been doing, I've been reading your books. I've been studying stick with it you're on to something my good friend Michael Beckwith I'm sure you know who he is he's been sort of my mentor during my the last 15 years when I've come into new thought very close friends and he calls it ancient wisdom it's really nothing new it's just ancient wisdom that's re- re- repeating itself or rehearsing itself in our consciousness in this 21st century um, I'm from a Pentecostal background we're into feeling God experiential not as much thinking they're they're but I, and I love to feel or experience the emotion and the commotion and the devotion of, of transcendence and transformation. I don't doubt that or discount it in any way. In fact, it's informed my new thought consciousness today. But um, the universe doesn't judge us so much by what we feel as much as what we think about what we feel. And what we think about what we think about what we think about what we feel. <laughs> Uh, and that's an evolving, revolving, involving reality and experience that's pretty profound. What you think about, you bring about. So I've, I'm now bridging, and I think the next spirituality, the more progressive spirituality, will, will bring together uh, spirituality and science in a way that religion has forbade it over the centuries. Uh, the whole idea of iPhone, iPad, iCloud, living in the cloud, the mysticism. My Apple phone actually has an apple with a bite taken out of it. So it's like, what was, what was Steve Jobs thinking? <laughs> you know, eating from the tree of science. The word knowledge actually means science. The science of good and what you call evil. Uh, there is a science to all of it, and they work inextricably together. They're not enemies. They're friends. They're compadres. They're companions. That's where the duality becomes a oneness. They don't fight each other. I'm, we're going to come into the age of Aquarius, out of the age of Pisces. I'm Pisces, but under the, that's a zodiac sign. Zao is the Greek word for, or zoe, where we get the word zoo or life. Uh, the fish uh, have the tails tied and swimming in opposite directions. So there's been this, this, uh, this, this sort of a, a, a battle of camaraderie. 
not camaraderie, but of, of, of uh, combat. And we're, we're, we're getting to the place where we don't want to compete, but just complete each other. And that opposites do attract, and then they attack. <laughs> so we learned that a lot of times in marriage. But there's a new age of alignment and enlightenment that's coming uh, with this Aquarian mentality. And some people get really afraid when you say new age. Jesus is quoted to have said in scripture, behold, uh, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The, the tr- can, King James mistranslates it world, which would be cosmos. But it's really the Greek word aeon, where we get the English word eon, the eons of time. We actually are coming into a new age. And there's a global shift in religious sensibilities. And a lot of pastors and preachers, especially those who are seekers and are curious and are interested or bored, which I was for at least 10 years before I really made the shift to, be, to start hanging out with people like you <laughs> that are new thought folks, you know, I, um, I was bored and I, I was restless. I, my church was packed. We were having traffic jams every Sunday. We had to have police to control the traffic. Same with my conference, jammed and packed. We had like 50,000 people who would come through Tulsa that week. The building seated maximum 12,800, and we packed it several times. And there was usually about 10 at night and always between four and six in the daytime. It was just a wonderful experience from all over the world. But I started getting bored with it and restless, and I wasn't sure why. My soul was seeking more. I had mastered the craft of ministry televangelism, mega church ministry. I preached in the largest churches in the country of, of our, of our particular uh, community. And, um, but I still felt like I wasn't tapping my potential. I was, wasn't fulfilling more of it. So I started uh, listening to my soul. Cause you know, if you don't go within, you go without the soul carries the syllabus of your life. It is the course study, the cause study. And I started reconsidering what I believed, not just about God and the universe, what I believed about me, why I believed that about me, and how those beliefs about me added to or subtracted from the the quality of my life. And I had to change. The word repent means to basically change your mind, or after you thought, think again. And so I started rethinking what I believed, and it's been so profoundly uh, liberating. I've had some major hurts and haunts and and, and, and uh, hiccups and belchers and burps coming through this is like, you know, the, 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 the birth pains and pains, but I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm getting better. It always gets better because I think that way and I'm trying to encourage other people to make the leap. Come on over here. It's wonderful. And so your, your story, your, your journey of transformation began long before you took on the ministry. Uh, so much so that at Sundance Film Festival, people got to see a little bit about your life and where you came from. Because anyone who's been listening are thinking, wow, this is, this is amazing. This was not an overnight matter. And uh, there is a film that is actually coming out about your life. So what I would like to do is, is run a clip on that film so that people can get a flavor for who you are. Then I want to dive into this work that you're doing at, at your church and, and these things that you're helping people bring about. It's more or less what we call transformation. And with Science of the Mind, we're, uh, you know, uh, it's really being in the transformation business, making a big shift for people. Mm-hmm. So 
let me play that trailer. Uh, I'm going to share my screen and uh, play that trailer uh, for the audience now. Turn the volume up if you can. And there it is. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. <laughs> and to be before some church leaders. So, you know, you when you challenge the orthodoxy, uh, it just brings about all kind of interesting results. Uh, and the orthodoxy in and of itself is not a bad thing. Uh, what we're talking about is coming to consciousness and having people uh, actually just have an awareness of uh, who and where they are. And uh, that's just something that they didn't uh, necessarily have. So uh, this work that you're doing at, at, your, at, at uh, your center is remarkable. And you're bringing people uh, to a new level of consciousness. And uh, you've also done some recordings. But I, I just want to, to read a little bit because, as I suspect, that you're, you're very modest about where you come from and that journey. And uh, there's some things in there. Uh, there's some things in your bio that I kind of like to highlight because what that clip reflected was you being a voice of reason in a world of extremes. You've become a progressive spiritual uh, teacher and a sacred activist. And you founded uh, the, uh, the New Dimensions uh, multi-cult in, in Chicago. You founded New Dimensions. And so uh, a word that's been used to describe uh, uh, New dimensions is is uh, metacostal. Costal, metacostal. Metacostal. Okay. What does what does metacostal mean? Well, it's it's because so many of my people that I attract are from Pentecostal roots, and they are now embracing the metaphysical approach to life and scriptural interpretation and what have you. So I, I'm coining the phrase. My friend D. E. Paul, who's from a Church of God background. Uh, one of my sons is in, in expanded consciousness, he pastors in Atlanta. He, he said that one time to me, we're Metacostals and I've used it ever since. And it, um, so we started a Metacostal network. A lot of these churches that have come out of Pentecost, they want to still do what they do as Pentecostals, but they want to embrace expanded consciousness, uh, metaphysics, and it's powerful. Metaphysics it just means beyond the physical, uh, which is another term of spirituality. So We've been in that all our lives, and so we, we, it really fits very well. Uh, that's that's Chiwetel Ejiofor, who played in Twelve Years a Slave, playing me in the movie 
and that was the College of Bishops of North America, the African American College of Bishops of North America, Pentecostal College of Bishops or something like that, who publicly, officially announced me as a heretic. That was a heretic trial. And um, those guys nailed it. The acting in this movie is literally off the chain. Mar- Martin Sheen plays Oral Roberts, and originally it was going to be uh, Robert Redford. And Robert couldn't do it at the last minute, so they got Martin Sheen, and he just, he even looks, he looks so much like Oral, talks so much like Oral. When we conversed, uh, he was telling me his story. I mean, the movie brings me to tears because my emotions are still raw. That stuff happened about 15 years ago, but it's still, uh, I put it all out of my mind. And so they do, uh, Condola Rashad plays my wife, Gina, does an excellent job. Uh, she nails that part so beautifully. We, my wife and I and the two kids sat in the theater there in uh, Utah and watched it at Sundance. Uh, the theater was packed. In fact, some of my friends that were flying in couldn't get tickets at the last minute. It was the largest theater that they use in that festival. Then there's a Q&A afterward. They push it as if, uh, the man, as if I stopped believing in hell. Initially, I didn't stop believing in hell. I just didn't believe anybody would be in there because of Calvary. That was the Christian, the way I understood Christian gospel. And then I said, well, why, why would you believe in something as, as absurd and hateful as eternal torture in a customized torture chamber that your God created? And I felt, I heard spirits saying to me, why are you telling people that? Do you really believe that a loving God, uh, the moral character of loving God could um, create and sustain something like that? And of course, I had a, a years, I went to 10 years of arguing back and forth using scripture against itself. <laughs> so I've come to the conclusion that I'm, it's okay to not believe in that kind of a God or that kind of uh, uh, eternal judgment. How can mercy endure forever and hell endure forever? One would cancel out the other. So it's been very free, freeing for a man that's been in fundamentalism for um, four generations. And uh, for me personally to have uh, lived my whole 65 years until I made the shift uh, 15 years ago to think differently, to give myself permission to think differently. And everywhere I go now, I was at a unity church in, in St. Petersburg. It was packed last night, one of the largest in the state of Florida. And uh, the freedom that we had and I, my comfortable comfortableness with that group. Uh, and I had just been the, the Wednesday before in San Francisco at Edwin Hawkins Memorial Service. Uh, it wasn't a memorial, it was a celebration. And I've known the Hawkins and the Church of God in Christ and Donnie McClurkin and BB and all these guys were there and uh, Winans. We all sort of grew up in the same tradition. That group has been more, you know, suspicious of me since I've shifted, but they were very receptive that night. And the Hawkins wanted me there and asked me to say something. And I did the same thing for Walter Hawkins. Uh, the music group, the word music comes from the word muse, which means to think. So they are, they're science of mind, though they don't use that terminology. They do a lot of thinking. Um, it's the call the science of the musings. And they're sitting there with the keyboard and they're, they're thinking lyrically and they're thinking intonations and ambiances and vibrations and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to help teach that group more about that, the power of the energy in the human being and being human. We're not human doings, we're human beings. Yes. So I'm teaching that and it's, uh, uh, it's really liberating millions of people. We sometimes reach... Uh, just in our Sunday, in my Thursday night uh, live internet thing, uh, you know, into the hundreds of thousands and more and more people. And some of them, 10, sometimes 10,000, will sit there the whole 45 minutes or an hour and hear my, my lecture. So um, we, we, you know, the, the internet, that's why I'm glad we're on today. This reaches millions of people around the world. 
Oh yeah, great. And that's very exciting. It's the it's the worldwide uh, the highway of information. <laughs> the worldwide highway of information. And so again, the iPhone, i iPad, iCloud, I am Amen Om. All those sounds create a vibration in the chemistry of, of the It is very powerful. It's that connection, you know, that <clears throat> with you, you've got a community that emphasizes expanded consciousness. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's some great terms that you use, like radically inclusive love. Um, talk a little bit about what that means, because so many people have these limited ideas uh, uh, of who they are. Well, I certainly suffered from it. I'll speak for myself from personal experience. This notion that I was less than and separate. How common are you finding that to be when people walk in to your community? And uh, what's the biggest challenge of helping folks make that shift? Most people, as uh, The Course of Miracles alludes to, uh, have wrestled with the illusion of of lack, isolation, alienation, uh, separation. Mm -hmm. um, inclusion really it comes from the English term of enclosure, of being mm -hmm. safe. Everybody is enclosed in the safety of, of divine mind or divine presence, divine reality, or the divine, the deity, whatever, or deities that are our watchers and caregivers and caretakers. Most people feel alienated and frightened and, and isolated, even from God and from people. Jesus says to love God, well, he's actually quoted an Old Testament scripture, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your, vertically, and your neighbor as yourself. Uh, that's the, like a big capital L. Okay. Neighbor means nearby. Okay. That's where the term comes from in English. Um, it didn't say what sexuality the neighbor was or religion the neighbor was or race or ethnicity. Then if they're nearby, you love them as you love yourself. Well, you can't love them well if you don't love yourself well. And religion teaches you that you should be groveling before God, your wretch undone, you know, original sin and all that kind of stuff. So I've, I've thrown all that out. I've sorted through it and threw all of that away. And I don't see myself as that way anymore. So it's easier for me to love you because I love me. And I not only love me, I like me. Uh, love can be a sloppy, uh, oh, I call it sloppy agape. Some people don't really, uh, nobody can hurt you, harm you, hinder you, and even hate you like somebody you love or who loves you. You find that in divorce court. You see that with families that don't talk after you bury a mother or a father, and, they, and they're, they're born out of the same womb, raised in the same house, sometimes slept in the same bed, and they don't talk after the last funeral. Uh, sometimes siblings don't talk to their parents anymore. So I tell even single people, don't just marry somebody that you, that you can live with. Try to find somebody you almost can't live without and find somebody not that you just love, but somebody that you like. Because there's a lot of people you love that you don't want to live, live with. <laughs> you love them, but you don't want, it might start with your mom and him, you know. Um, sometimes you're, you're married to somebody you, 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 you love, but you don't want to live with them anymore or they don't want to live with you. So these vices and, and, and um, devices can have to be sorted through with wisdom, with intelligence, uh, with observation, and with care. Uh, the scripture says love is patient. I say love is a patient. 
in need of health care, <laughs> affordable health care. Thank you, President Obama. Uh, because love is like a disease. It's like, it's like an illness. It's almost like a form of, of, of insanity. And working through that because love makes you do foolish things, as the songwriter said, <laughs> crazy in love and, you know, make some really dumb moves. And so uh, I love life and I love all the in, in eccentricities and the vicissitudes that we, we walk through them deliberately and carefully and cautiously, but with great boldness and faith and, uh, uh, and adventurism. No is a very boring word, as my friend Rob Bell says. There's no, there's no adventurism. There's no curiosity in yo, but yes, and no, but yes. It's adventurous. It's curious. You never know. It's risky. If you're not living on the edge, you're, you're probably taking up too much space. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. And it's this, this level of consciousness that we have to create within ourselves uh, are done. A lot of this is done through many of the teachings that I've come through. There, there are a lot of teachings that you offer at the center to help people self-actualize, raise that level of consciousness. And what we're talking about is really the combination of the head and the heart, because obviously uh, God gave us brains to use. Yes, sir. And so a lot of problems with the ego center in the mind. And so with the mind being part of the problem, the mind is actually part of the solution when it's backed by faith, by, by the heart, by that inner knowing, uh, how does that impact people that you see that are going out here to serve the community, to be difference makers in the nonprofit world, in the church world? Um, uh, talk about the difference between the, the ability uh, of these folks to actually render service in the community, not because they don't have that heartfelt desire, but because maybe the mind is in the way in some type of way and how that shows up. Prejudice comes from pre-judging, judging before you encounter, before you meet somebody. Um, my, my children's cardinal sin when they were little was to be bored. They couldn't stand to be bored. You know, whether you, you got smart TVs and iPhones and computers and laptops and all that stuff, they could not stand to be bored. And I got that place in panic, too, when I was in my 50s, because I, the judgmentalism and the prejudgmentalism, prejudging somebody before I met them, before I encountered them, before I shook their hand, sitting down, having a conversation with an atheist or an agnostic or Hindu or Muslim or Jew or a gay person, or a, a person that has, that's, that's into Seventh-day Adventist uh, belief, or Mormonism, or something other than what you were raised to, to embrace, when you learn how not to judge them before you meet them and hear their heart and study their lives and conversation and not judge them, that's the, the most freeing, uh, that's the one blocker of love. When you, when you, when you can't get past judgment, it, it thwarts your ability to love radically and to be radically inclusive and reckless abandon, just trust the universe to make it work out. So I'm enjoying that kind of freedom anew and that kind of liberation. It's, it's off the chain. And the people who I know who love people, and I've always loved people, but I love them uh, uh, with judgments. And I love them with prejudices. And I love them in general, but I didn't like them. It's like somebody saying, well, I love this, 
the sinner, but God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. You know, that term, that's not in scripture, but we say that and we use that principle to limit our love and limit our exchange and limit our engagement. A lot of churches have a big welcome sign outside of it. All are welcome. But that doesn't mean all are wanted. You you could you you realize that at a family reunion. Everybody's welcome to come. <laughs> Relatives, you hope they don't show up. Because <laughs> we're clannish, cliquish, clubbish, uh, tribal, uh, centered, and territorial by nature. So we have to work through all that, identify that it's there, and systematically extricate it from our consciousness. That's what it means, raising. My, my original name of the ministry that I started in 1977 was Higher Dimensions. Um, it means angles and measurements. Uh, I don't know why I named it. People said, that doesn't sound like a, a Christian ministry or a higher dimension. That sounds like some kind of, you know, technology company. I wanted it to. I didn't want people to identify it as a, as a religious thing. Uh, now, when, when I lost all of that, I had to change the name to New Dimensions because I really lost the corporation. When I went through all that shift and everybody left me because I started believing that Christians weren't the only people who were going to heaven and that the love of God was much broader and much better than any religion could, could uh, uh, de- describe it or define it as. Define it as. So, uh, uh, but I kept, the, the whole, my middle name is Demetrius. Okay. So the different dimensions and, and when Jesus says, in my father's house, there are many mansions, the Greek word suggests many dimensions or apartments or compartments or places and spaces and phases and, and floors. And so when somebody transitions or what some people call die, they're in the same house, just on a different floor and in a different form. So that really, that releases some of the tensions around, you know, going through death or the transition we call that. So I'm just learning a lot of, gaining a lot of technology emotionally and psychologically to live my life more thoroughly and more uh, precisely and with more exactness and more clarity and more certainty and more verity. I mean, I need some verifications and they're coming every day. You know, actually, because you talk about an emotional uh, technology, it's a technology, it's, it's spiritual in nature, it's emotional technology, it's mental technology. And my personal belief is that this isn't designed to make us into somebody we're not. It's really there to help us peel back the layers mm-hmm. and, and step into the true self that we were put here to be, that we were created to be, that we sort of lost in the shuffle, really makes it hard for people to... Uh, actually go out and love and serve and, and make changes in the community, which is what nonprofits are organized to do. Churches are organized to build a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't always get there because of these personal barriers, and uh, and we sort of lose these things. And as we believe, so shall we see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where the mind comes in. It must be uh, followed with that faith. So the essence has to come from the inside. And, and that's in the final analysis where we find that great reality is really in the inside. And we look for all of these outside things like money and, and toys and, and uh, uh, accolades, maybe some ego, ego-based accolades, fortune, fame, 
whatever. In the final analysis, though, it's really what's on the inside that matters. And you have you have places like New Dimensions and uh, and New Dawn Center for Spiritual Living here, Mile High, other places like that. Unity and and thought leaders from from many different faiths that are. Uh, actually advocating, raising our level of consciousness to try to get beyond the the human race memory that has created a lot of uh, the division and and things that are going on at this point in time. Um, Tell me a little bit about uh, uh, what you sense with the current climate. Uh, what, uh, What do you think is the best way to try to uh, uh, cut through the noise to have a real conversation about what really matters and what connects us. Uh, do you think that's possible? And and how do we go about it as people who are actually trying to raise their level of consciousness? How do we have that conversation with a lot of people that may not be listening or may not grasp what it is we're trying to say? Life has a lot of uh, circumstances you're standing in a circle. So a circumstance means you're standing in the midst of a circle. You feel again, enclosed or surrounded or included. And it's, it's diverse. And so some of the things that you experienced in the passage that says all things work together or work in concert for a larger purpose, for good, for those who love God and recognize their call. Um, all the ingredients count. I love stew, I love gumbo. Um, I love onions, but not always by themselves. Uh, you know, there's the different ingredients we call ourselves in America, a melting pot. We're really not a melting pot. We're a stew. Uh, everybody maintains their own individuality, but when you stew together for a while, you start tasting a little bit like each other. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you look at life that way, you realize that experience is not only what happens to us. It's what we do with what happens to us, how we respond or react to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, our country has never been more polarized than it is right now in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Even back in the days when, when I remember where I was when I heard that Dr. Martin Luther King uh, had been assassinated just prior to that uh, in April. Uh, uh, it was uh, Robert Kennedy, you know, a few years earlier than it was JFK. So these, and the Medgar Evers and all these deaths and all this civil rights pain uh, that we went through. And now we have. A, an administration and a country that is really struggling with, um, I like to say, and I know everybody's not going to agree with this, but that Trump was sort of like a come, coming out party for all the haters on the down low. <laughs> People that, <laughs> that, that hated me and I didn't know they did because I've been living and walking and working. Even in churches, the evangelical church is pretty much the, the white evangelical church, pretty much the base of Trump's um, uh, followers. And I've been astounded as one who's worked with and within that community for 50 years, working and walking with people, praying with people. I have so many people from my third world countries who are saying, what's going on over there, Bishop? These same sweet people built clinics for us and schools and taught us that God loved us. And now they're saying they're, that we're not welcome in your country. Mm. Is that the church or is, there, or is the media just twisting it? And I'm, I'm, having to, I'm, I'm having to say, I'm sorry to report that, that a lot of the brethren Yes, Christians are back in this guy who, who doesn't reflect any of the character of Christ. And that same group demonized Obama. I don't mean to get political, but this is very important for people with expanded consciousness that we that, that a silent church is a saltless church. We have allowed uh, things to occur in this country and in this culture that are very divisive. 
uh, hatred and the things that people say, especially sending these precious young men and women out of the country who came here with their parents, have, are gainfully employed, they're being educated and kicking them out of the country, or a father that came here two years old illegally because his parents brought him here and he's lived here with a but now a social security number and he has a job, he's got children and ain't going to send him to another. No, no loving person is going to agree with that. We're going to find, find a way to protect the innocent and protect those who mean well. The Bible is full of scriptures that tell us how to treat the stranger or the foreigner. It's never about building walls. It's about building bridges. And so um, that kind of, and there's a lot of evangelicals, I might say, that really uh, don't support that kind of mentality. You know, they, they, they love God, they love people, and uh, our world is shifting. But I think this is the last time that particular element will have this kind of influence on our cult- culture, our country, or our elections. I think we're seeing who these people really are now. It's coming out, what's really living inside of them, that they don't care about hurting people. I know, I, I'm not surprised that Donald Trump has that, but he doesn't claim to be one of us. Uh, one of these quote unquote fundamentalist Christian believers in Jesus and the blood and the cross and love and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, I'm, I think there's a change coming. The generation coming behind us don't like what their parents are doing. They're embarrassed. I hear from them. They're ashamed to be associated with that mentality. And now people rejected not only Hillary, but a female being under the white house. And now this brute chauvinist, that's why all this me too stuff is going on. Women are saying, no more. You're not going to penalize me, pin me down, uh, put me in the pen, or even penetrate me anymore. It's over. I'm, I'm, I, there's an anger out there we've never seen from, from women. And I call it divine essence the, of, of, of the feminine. That's a powerful, powerful force on the earth. And women are saying, this is the end. We're going to have our space, our place, our time. You're not going to, we're going to break that glass ceiling and we're going to be equally paid, equally employed, e- equally respected. And I think it's just the universe is correcting itself. Whether it's global warming, La Nina, La Nino, whatever happens, there's a cleansing and a purging that's going on in the midst of all this nausea or noise. And that's what word noise comes from. All of this nausea and this this uh, vomiting and regurgitating, something new and powerful is on the horizon. And while I'm grieved about some things, I'm, I'm immensely happy about other things. Something good is really about to happen. I believe that too. And I'm seeing really diverse groups of people in our CSL community. And there are people that are saying enough is enough. And they're moderate voices who are more interested in solving problems. Uh, which is what uh, what nonprofit uh, uh, is nonprofits are all about. But we're also seeing business forms that are profit making, who are stepping up to the plate and saying, "We need to to make some changes. We need to step up. We need to help people who are in need." And we're starting to see hybrid forms of entities that are coming in here uh, that are made up of combinations of of government, uh, non-government organizations, uh, profit-making businesses, uh, uh, faith-based organizations. Uh, We're starting to see what I see as a wave of collaboration. And, you know, sometimes uh, the the things that teach us the greatest lesson uh, are the people who have been cruel to us, are the adversities that we face and these things that we 
theme that teach uh, that teach me how to show up, mm-hmm. uh, and and we learn from that. Uh, how we want to react. And there are a lot of like-minded people who want to understand and want to go out and want to do something different. New Dimensions is transforming people's lives. Uh, How are people within New Dimensions going out into the community in Chicago uh, and making a difference for them based on that newfound consciousness or that new awareness that your work has helped instill that we're one, we're connected. What are some of the things that you're seeing people in, in your community do to get out here and get on top of some of these problems that are, that are facing our community? I don't live in Chicago anymore, but I lived there for six years. And the, the, the social activism in that country, uh, that city is, is uh, ongoing, phenomenal. I've, I've spent, time with the great social activists and civil rights activists from the Reverend Jesse Jackson, all of his children, to uh, Reverend Clay Evans and, and the, the, the uh, theological, uh, Chicago Theological Seminarians, the brilliant people, spent time with, with, sat down for three and a half hours with, with Louis Farrakhan. Uh, I've gone to the, the rabbinical wise, uh, rabbinical um, uh, philosophers and psychologists and people from the Jewish community who think, uh, and they're all, I call them sacred activists. They're out there uh, helping hurting people, uh, standing for peace and justice. Uh, Bishop Williams, Barbara, Bishop William Barber, our new, newest friends, a huge voice in the uh, social justice community. Uh, we consecrated him last summer, Bishop Yvette Flunder and I and Michael Beckwith, we consecrated him to the bishopric. He's one of two new thought bishops. Uh, Barbara King, we consecrated her some years ago, and Michael was the second one. He accepted it. You know, he's okay. doctor, bishop doctor, or doctor bishop, whatever. He doesn't always, uh, that name doesn't always fit in certain circles, but when it does, it does, especially when he's overseas. Okay. He's also very involved in particularly social justice, helping anybody who's marginalized. That's what inclusion is all about, bringing in those who, who, are, who are vilified and, and denied and denigrated and marginalized and kicked to the curb, whether they're Jewish or gay, whether they're Catholics, whether, whether they're evangelicals. Whoever they are and are hurting and are being mistreated or prejudged, we reach out to them. And higher consciousness can't not just be, you know, this mystical ambience of just floating around and seeing everything wonderful. It means also making things happen. Uh, Johnny Coleman, who I followed there in, in, at the Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, a pastor there for a while, she used to say, it works if you work it. Yeah. You got to get out there. Now, that's a very Timorian uh, a church when it comes to uh, new thought. Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, of course, Ernest Holmes. We combine all, all these things with E.W. Kenyon and the Word of Faith movement and the charismatic renewal. All the prosperity preachers. I became friends with Reverend Ike and I'm still very close to his son and his wife, uh, uh, First Lady. Uh, I call her Reverend Mother. Uh, I've just, I stopped prejudging people. When I listen to Reverend Ike's teachings, I think, wow, this man was way ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody gets caught up with his Rolls Royces and his Bentleys and all of his money, uh, which I don't mind at all. But <laughs> I like what he, how, how his head thought, the things I listened in his teaching. He introduced me to to um, uh, Goddard, and I've never, uh, I never start, I've never read all the Goddards. I, now I've read everything he's done. He and uh, uh, Bishop Jordan there in New York City. So um, I'm 
I'm very excited about the new possibilities for a new spiritual paradigm that new thought will expand. Some people call themselves new thought and haven't actually had one in 40 years. <laughs> I found a lot of that too. So, and I say that everywhere I go, I want these guys to, to not get locked into clones and clowns. Let's keep expanding, keep evolving, keep revolving, keep learning anew and afresh, open up the doors and portals. I think new thought and science of mind is one of the most intelligent and palatable theologies and philosophies and psychologies on the planet. All we need is that, that special function or what, what we all Pentecostal call the Holy Ghost coming at and get you all happy. But there's that energy, that, that vibe, that, that certain uh, orgasmic thing spiritually that happens in your soul. Then there's an organic growth after that. Then it becomes organism, a living organism, and then organization. Some of these churches only have organization anymore. You know, need some hormone treatment. Ain't had no, no real, ain't had no real high in a while. So that's the revival and the renewal. The word revival, a revive in Greek, actually means to stand up again. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the Lord intended us to stand up again to get some kind of resurrection. And I'm very happy with that. I feel it in my 65 year old body and mind. And uh, I feel a usefulness and an ambition, ambition that I haven't felt in years. Thanks to the Centers for Spiritual Living. Thanks for the Unity uh, uh, Churches out of, out of Missouri and for the United Church of Christ. All these people I demonize because I thought we Pentecostals had it all, was it all, you know, and, and, and was, the, was the be-alls. But now we're all becoming Metacostals, many of us. We're expanding and reaching out to our, because our, our society is so much more pluralistic than it was when I was born in 1953. I mean, you're, you're hanging out with Buddhists and Hindus and, and Zen Buddhists and atheists that have an intelligent way of talking about God. And, and the agnostics who say, I'm not sure, I don't know, but here's what I believe about uh, my God experience. And we have, I'm, I'm, I'm exploring, I'm experimenting. All of that works. So it's not like we're in one little community, and I call it homosectarianism, same sect only, that it's just the Methodists or the Baptists or the Catholics or the Hindus or the Muslims or the Jews or the Protestants. Uh, We're all hanging out together saying there's some truth in all of us. There's some truth to and through all of us. Let's compare rather than compete and see how what we actually have in common. And that's what communion, common union, or community, common unity. It's beautiful. That can bring peace to the planet in ways that religion never has and never will. Well, this is all beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're sort of preaching to the choir when you're talking to me about these things. Uh, uh, And I believe there's a great reality. And that involves facing some things that may not be so flattering about ourselves. But the nonprofit leaders out here who are doing really good work are folks that that face those aspects and move forward anyway. And it's all about a practice. We're all growing uh, a day at a time. And uh, there's just so much more to connect us than divides us. So uh, for our folks out in, out here, thank you for, for watching. A uh, couple of books, The Gospel of Inclusion was one of uh, Carlton's earlier books. And then... God is not a Christian, nor Jew, Muslim, Hindu. God dwells with us all, in us, around us, as us. If you have not read these books, and we'll get these in the notes so that you can pick them up. Um, He's also a a musician, a singer. 
uh, his latest CD, Reflections After the Rain. Yeah. A little something to listen to in the background as you sit there and work. And, uh, and there are more things by, uh, by Carlton. Uh, what's the name of the film? We'll get the name of the film in there. I just wanted to have you. Come Sunday. Me. It's called Come Sunday, and it's on Netflix uh, April 13th. That's when it releases on, and 100 million homes can have it. All right. Come Sunday. <laughs> That's April 18th. So, uh, it's, it's 13th. April 13th. All right. That, it'll be a pleasure. I'm looking forward to watching that. So I'd like to thank all of our Facebook friends for joining us. Uh, thank you, Bishop Carlton. This has been inspirational, a lot of fun. Uh, we'll have this up on the Nonprofit Exchange podcast, and the notes will be available for a transcript uh, for all of our friends uh, to look at and see. So this is Russ Dennis for our Facebook uh, friends. I'm going to be signing off. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next Tuesday on the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs> <laughs>